Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials, as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. Okay, January 4th. Happy New Year, everybody. Today's show, we're back, finally. All three of us back uh, after the New Year's, after the holidays. Daryl, the Guru Johnson from 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. He's going to join us, talk uh, 49ers clinching the NFC, so they will have home field advantage in the playoffs, and uh, the NFC will run through sunny San Francisco. We'll get his thoughts on that the whole season in general for the 49ers. It's been a long time since we talked to him. And uh, maybe get into some Warriors talk too, catching to see how they're doing, uh, you know, getting into the midway through the season here in the NBA. We'll break down all the games from week 17 of the NFL, kind of rapid style like we did last week. First, though, guys, I want to get into the bowl games that we had, the New Year's Six Bowl games, uh, particularly that we had, uh, you know, these past this past week, uh, really the past couple of days, really. I want to start with the Rose Bowl. Um, Rose Bowl, Alabama, Michigan. Um, really just a lot better secondary play by Michigan than people really thought they were going to do. They really held Alabama. No no big plays for Jalen Milrow, and they had a hard time passing the ball as well. And I think the one question I want to get to you guys, and I want to – whoever can – you know, whoever wants to take this first, did Alabama play bad or did, did Michigan play good or did Alabama just play bad? I, I watched the game. I watched highlights of the game as well. Couldn't really get my take on it. And I wanted to kind of see what you guys thought on this game because it was a good game, obviously. It came down to the very end. It went to overtime, of course. What do you guys think about this game? And what were your overall thoughts on, like, you know, who played well, who played good? And Yeah, no, this is a game that Michigan actually dominated for the most part. If you went back and looked at the first half, you know, if Michigan didn't have special teams blunders, they probably would have won this game going away. I mean, they were easily the more physical team. There was a stat in the first half where Alabama – uh, Jalen Milrow faced a blitz six times and didn't even get a pass off. He either got sacked or he had to tuck and run. And that tells you that the receivers weren't getting open. That tells you the Michigan secondary was locking those guys down. And that pass rush got home. They had seven sacks over the course of the game. You know, they didn't dominate running the ball the way that you would expect Michigan to dominate running the ball, but they were getting four or five yards a pop. And J.J. McCarthy made enough throws. And, you know, this didn't even feel like the Wolverines played their best game, and yet they were able to win because they were able to dominate on the defensive side of the ball and Jalen Milrow was never really a factor 114 Mm -hmm. yards passing in this game Alabama could not throw the ball and Alabama couldn't dominate running the ball the way that we're used to seeing them dominate over the years this is just a game where you know it came down to the trenches and historically that's where Alabama has thrived but in this case it was Michigan that was able to win in the trenches and that's why they're going in the national championship game a big win for Michigan 100% as Alabama's offense just could not get it together at all for Jalen Milrow and for the rest of the offense. Michigan was great on defense. Michigan held them to 20 points in the last play call of the game. I don't know what what was that play call on fourth and goal. And uh, in the red zone. Yeah, I know he tripped obviously on that last play as well, which made things a little bit more difficult. But no, it was um, obviously a great game. Anytime you go to overtime, it was, uh, you know, obviously a great game. You know, we'll get to the Sugar Bowl here in a second. But I mean, just uh, considering how the Sugar Bowl ended up, obviously that was a last minute play as well that could have decided the game. And then uh, Rose Bowl went to overtime. Do you guys think this was probably one of the best first round playoff games, you want to call it that? It probably was. It was either this or last year with the TCU-Michigan game and the Ohio State-Georgia game. I mean, this has historically been where 
you know, we've had before last year, you had the 2014 Ohio State Alabama game. You had the 2017 Oklahoma Georgia game. And other than that, we really didn't have a whole lot of memorable playoff semifinals. And so this has been kind of an exception the last couple of years, but the last four games decided all by six points or, or by seven points or less. So, yeah, I would say so. Michigan's pass rush, I was going to say, my only, my only other takeaway from this game, they were in Milrose's face the entire time. Uh, the Alabama's young offensive line, their inexperienced offensive line, it pretty much showed all game, and they just could not stop uh, the pass rush. I think he was sacked five times, Milrose. Now, that was the first half alone, I think. I don't even know what it was in the second half, but just overall domination. And uh, like I said, they Milrose felt uncomfortable the entire, entire game. Like you said, Zach, uh, I think only like, what, 114, 116 total yards, something like that, had zero big plays on the game. So, and that's really what Alabama is known for, is their big plays that they were able to have all game and or all year. And it just was absolutely just taken away from them by Michigan secondary, which all things considered, my last point and kind of like what I leaded with, Michigan, that was the big concern about the Wolverines going into this game was their pass or was their secondary, you know, just being able to stop Alabama's explosive offense and their explosive passive game. And obviously they were able to do that pretty well. And, um, you know, they, they, they came up, showed out and played well and are going on to Houston to, uh, you know, to play Washington in a week this Monday. Let's go on to that game, though. Sugar Bowl, Texas, Washington. Penix, Outdoors, Ewers. Um, my biggest takeaway, and again, I'll lead it, you know, have you guys lead off from this uh, kind of takeaway is this would have been a much different turnout if Texas played a better first half. I think uh, Ewers doubled his passing yardage in the second half. I think he only had about like uh, under 100 yards and no touchdowns in the first half. And then I think in the second half, he had over 225 passing yards of course with that one uh, passing touchdown and no interceptions on the day as well so I mean if Texas would have came out and started this game out hotter than they did it would have been a much different storyline at the end of the day possibly but I mean you look at Washington this has kind of been the theme of their entire season right they've won six seven games by a touchdown or less they thrive in close games Michael Penix has been I think the best quarterback in the country and I know Jaden Daniels put up the stats but I think Michael Penix deserved to win the Heisman we've seen it why because he's got incredible accuracy. I think he's the most accurate quarterback in this draft class. He throws a great deep ball. When you've got receivers like he does with Roman Dunze and Jalen McMillan, it's a little bit easier to be able to complete some of those deep balls, but they work the Texas secondary that has really been pretty good throughout the second half of the season. And I mean, this is a Washington team. Like we've talked about, there's a very team of destiny like vibe around them with all the close games they win. And they tried to give this game away late. They had the late injury and then, you know, gave up a couple big plays. But they're able to manage to win this game, and I think Washington has a decent chance to go in, out and win a national championship on Monday night because it just doesn't look like this team's going to be denied. Yeah, Texas secondary got just brutalized on uh, on Monday. That's been pretty inconsistent all year. I mean, their safety play has been pretty inconsistent all year for Texas. Uh, this game, they were missing their true freshman, Derek William Jr., in the first half, of course, as we all know, and that turned out to be really, really costly for Texas. That really did not help them at all. I mean, they've been having they've been having struggles this entire year, um, you know, against big 12 offenses. And, uh, you know, Washington for sure was able to exploit that as well. And like I said, just absolutely brutalized the secondary for the tech uh, for Texas. 
Um, yeah, Washington, only team in the playoffs with zero five stars as well. I mean, two of the Huskies' biggest players yesterday were walk-ons. I mean, both, uh, you know, Grady Gross, as we all know, he's the kicker. He had 13 points alone for the team. And then Jack Westover, the tight end, um, you know, he came out and clutched in some important plays in this game as well. And you mentioned just the passing game uh, for the Huskies and um, Penix, Zach. I mean, he had, I think he completed 75% of his passes. And uh, half, half a dozen of those were just explosive, explosive plays that obviously gave the Huskies major momentum. Odunze and Polk, uh, Jalen Polk, of course, they went for over 100 yards both in this game. Westover, like I said, the tight end, Jack Westover, the walk-on, he had 50 along with McMillan. And then Bernard for the team also had 48. So everyone on the everyone on the Huskies ate on Monday. This absolute, absolute just domination on offense. And uh, unfortunately for Texas, like I said, they weren't able to really start off the game as hot as they needed to in order to keep up with this explosive offense. And I think it really did end up costing them in the you know, in the end of the day, you know, we'll go over the national championship game more on Saturday, but what's your initial knee jerk reactions going into Washington, um, you know, against Michigan here? I mean, it's going to be a good game. I do actually think Washington would have a edge on Michigan though. I mean, what are your, what are your guys thoughts on this? I know we'll get into it more on Saturday, but just initial, you know, knee jerk reactions. Yeah. I think Washington could, could beat them. I think they have a better quarterback in this matchup and the better Mm -hmm. offense. So I think this could be, this could be a big, uh, big day for Michael Penix and uh, and Washington's offense, and they might be able to come away with it against Michigan. If Washington holds up in the trenches and this game gets to the fourth quarter, and you give me Michael Penix and JJ McCarthy, I'm going to take Michael Penix. So mm-hmm. I think that's the whole key of the game: is can Washington survive the body blows in the first half? Because if they can, I think they've got a really good chance to pull this out. Okay, like I said, we'll break it down more on Saturday. Moving on, though, other New Year's Six games—they all sucked. Yeah, they, pretty much, pretty much. Cotton Bowl. We'll start with that. Speaking of sucking, I mean, the first half of this yeah. game was just absolutely abysmal. If you watch this entire thing like I did, only because I'm a fan, <laughs> you—I think I deserve my money back, and I didn't even pay a ticket to go to the game. First half. Missouri and Ohio State combined for 48 passing yards uh, and just three points, of course. And they punted on 12 of their first 13 possessions. Second half, of course, a little bit better. And OSU, um, you know, we have to have to remember was on their second and third string quarterbacks, both freshmen. I think they're both they're both freshmen, right? Devin Brown and Kineholes. That's right. They were both freshmen. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, Devin Brown got the start for OSU, but he was quickly pulled due to an injury. And then, like I just said, freshman Lincoln Kineholtz came in. Pretty. I don't really have much else to say about this game. It was just uh, Missouri played good defense, all things considered. But again, you have to put into consideration just the quarterback uh, that they the quarterbacks that they were dealing with uh ohio state being of course their second and third string freshman quarterbacks no one deserved to win this game but somebody had to and now ryan day is firmly on the hot seat if he doesn't beat michigan he doesn't mm. get to the playoff doesn't do all those kind of things he's gone after next year i'm already about done with them to begin with. yeah i mean my only other point on this game was of course you know the quarterback issue but they still did have a lot of four and five star talents to hand the ball to and throw the ball to and they still couldn't really do anything True. yeah because the offensive line was a turnstile yeah yep I did want to. This did lead to my last question, though. And Zach, I'll leave it. I'll leave it to you because you follow the team a lot more than I do. Obviously, like, what do they do at QB yeah. next year? Uh, you know, I think they're going to end up going to the portal. Uh, Will Howard from Kansas State's been rumored. The Liberty quarterback's been rumored. I, I think they got to pick somebody up. Yeah. I mean, Devin Brown, Lincoln Keenholes, these are fine quarterbacks, but. I think they're going to go to the portal and get somebody. I think they need to go to the portal and get offensive linemen. I think that's the most important thing because the offensive line play at Ohio State the last couple of years is not the caliber yeah. of a, a major program of what Ohio State should be. The Cotton Bowl was a you know a bad representation of well good representation of 
how much work they need at the QB position and the offensive line position. So it was a, you know, a salty litmus test, but uh, yeah, it's definitely something sure we need to fix going forward in the, in the next year to be a top tier team. Peach Bowl, Ole Miss, Penn State. More of a question to open up this uh, the conversation about the Peach Bowl. Uh, Peach Bowl. Jackson Dart, think he could be a Heisman uh, contender next year if he plays the way he did this whole year, especially, you know, with Daniels being out now. Penix will be gone too. Bo Nix will be gone. I mean, what do you think about Jackson Dart uh, next year being a potential Heisman candidate? And more important, I mean, just in general, you know, talk Ole Miss being on the lookout next year to be a really, really big contender. I certainly think it's possible. I mean, they got a lot of good offensive linemen in the portal. You've got most of your weapons coming back. They won't have quick shot Junkins, but they've always been able to run the ball. Lane Kiffin's an offensive guru. I, I think Jackson Dart, with one more year of development, I think he can turn into a Heisman Trophy contender next year. And remember, Ole Miss gets a lot of big games at home, including Alabama. So it, the, the opportunities will be Yeah, there. I mean, you mentioned Alabama. I mean, they beat Alabama in week four. They would have been a playoff team this year. They would have been a – I mean, obviously right. they would have been undefeated. You know, they would have definitely been a team that nobody wanted to play for sure because they, they showed it, you know, in the Peach Bowl. They definitely have flashes, especially on offense. They – I mean, they dominated a Penn State defense that's – you know, that's – that's their prowess. That's that's what they're known for is their defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kalen King, right. uh, Johnny Dixon, they opted out uh, for Penn State, of course. That led the secondary pretty depleted, and it definitely showed at the Peach Bowl. You know, their fans are fed up, man. They're, they've It's a, the same thing every year. Uh, you know, top 10 team, they're always on that kind of like uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 rank, and they get to these one of these New Year's Six Bowls and just can't get it done. So it's just another year, same page, same story for Penn State. And uh, I know a lot of Penn State fans are <laughs> are frustrated. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that they have to fix going forward. I mean, they came into the Peach Bowl with statistically the best defense, um, but they didn't back any of those numbers up, like I said. And Jackson Dart had an absolute field day with them. Orange Bowl, Georgia FSU. I don't actually, I mean, at FSU, of course, you know, things were a little bit different after they got left out of the playoffs, but this was just a, a manhandling. Were you expecting this? I mean, I did not think this game was going to be this bad. I even, when I heard the line was, uh, you know, 21 in favor of Georgia, I was actually even surprised by that. And then, of course, for them to lose by, uh, what, 56, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. 60. 60. That's, that's 60, yeah. That was, what were your thoughts on this? I mean, what happened to FSU in this game that, you know, was such a blowout? When you have that many players opt out, that's what happens. You're basically down to second and third string guys, and the committee told Florida State that none of their games mattered this year, so they just decided, you know what, this game doesn't matter. And why should it? Because they've got a lot of guys that are draft eligible, and they went out and they just decided to, to opt out, and I don't blame them a bit. And Georgia, I still think is the best team in the country this year. I know they got left out, but if we had a 12-team playoff, I think Georgia would be looking at winning a third straight national championship. They just happened to have an off day at the wrong time against Alabama. That team, the way they played Saturday, could have beaten anybody in the country. And so I I don't think this is a referendum on Florida State. I think it's creating a lot of dishonest discourse. I think the thought process should be Georgia is still the best program in the country. And Florida State had a great year. It's just, you know, that's the problem with the bowl season now is if you don't make the playoff, guys are going to opt out, and they should. I got, I got no problem with it. FSU, of course, was just emotionally depleted, and they were just completely gone after. They were just – they were not – their mindsets right. were not in this game either. Georgia, the first program to score at least 56 points in back-to-back bowl games, they actually – the 63-3 to final score uh, in the Orange Bowl actually was the largest margin of victory, and it actually beat out – 
um, their 65 to seven victory over TCU in the national championship. So they just beat their own record for the biggest margin of victory uh, two years in a row, pretty much. And, uh, you know, Georgia, 670 total yards. That's the most in Orange Bowl history as well. Ran the ball down their throats, got out early, and FSU just, you know, never really came back. Yes, the Bull, Liberty, Oregon. Um, you know, Bo Nix uh, caps off historical time at Oregon. He finished the day with 363 passing yards, five touchdowns, you know, completed 28 for 35 of his passes. Uh, he set the FBS single season record for completion percentage at 77.4%. That broke the pre- uh, record previously held by Alabama's Mac jones so yeah just overall good game i thought this game was a little weird i uh i knew oregon we all knew oregon was a much much better team than liberty was much bigger much faster and uh it was just a weird matchup all things considered and it definitely showed in the final score i don't know if you guys have any other thoughts that really take away from this (laughs) from this game no not really i mean this was a blowout from the start and Nobody thought this game was going to be competitive, and it wasn't. Liberty, number one rushing offense in the country. Of course, they don't play the caliber of teams that you know Oregon would play or SEC teams or Big Ten teams would see. But only 168 rushing yards on the day. That's actually still pretty big, all things considered. But you know, that's yeah. Oregon just played absolutely domination both on offense and defense, and uh, you know, it was never never really a game on paper to start, and then it showed it on the field as well. My last game I want to get into. Honorable mention, Iowa, Tennessee, such a bad look for the Big Ten West. And I'm very happy that uh, they're they're doing away with the conferences in the Big Ten next year because this was just absolutely terrible by Iowa. Tennessee blew them out, literally. Iowa didn't score a single point. Yeah, I mean, there's really not much to say except Iowa can't move the ball across the street and them getting shut out is a perfectly fitting ending. Week 17, NFL. We did it last week too. You know, rapid fire of all the games. We'll do it again. Uh, we'll start with the Lions-Cowboys. CeeDee Lamb, he goes off. Uh, we'll get to into the end of the game as well, but just my only my big takeaway from this game is CeeDee Lamb is just absolutely amazing. Uh, career high in receptions at 13, career high in receiving yards at 227. He also passed Michael Irving uh, with his catches at 122 and his total yards in a season at 1,651 uh, as well. So CeeDee Lamb, I mean, I don't think he's in MVP conversation. I think he should be, though. Because, I mean, he extended his touchdown streak to eight uh, eight games. Longest current streak in NFL and longest in Cowboys history. And he's absolutely just playing amazing. And, yeah, I think, uh, you know, he should definitely be in MVP uh, conversations. I don't think he is, but I think he definitely should be. Let's get to the end of the game, though, unless you have anything else to say during the game. Uh, controversial play, of course. It was a two-point conversion, which I thought was actually really ballsy to begin with. Dan Campbell, of course, elected to go for a two-point conversion on a final touchdown. So instead of tying it, with a field goal uh, or not, you know, extra point. He did go for a two point conversion. It was caught by an offensive lineman, the offensive lineman, uh, Taylor Decker. He thought he checked in. He thought he made himself eligible, but the refs said otherwise, and he was ruled ineligible. And of course that's illegal touching as they say. And yeah, it was all history from there. Cowboys end up with the victory. I mean, what do you think about this uh, call guys? I mean, obviously it was the biggest story of the game, despite 40 plus minutes that, you know, went into before that play. I mean, it was the biggest play of the game, the last play of the game. The refs, I think were actually are barred from any games in the playoffs. But they're getting a week 18 game, this, this refereeing crew, which is completely bogus to give them a, to give them a, uh, a crew, a game in week 18, even after the blown call. But I think that call was, uh, you know, it was bogus. It was a bogus call. We saw the receiver reported. 
I mean, whether you think he reported or not, I yeah. think that um, I think there should be accountability with the refs here. And obviously, I mean, that's pretty much a new week's resolution preview for me <laughs> uh, with refereeing. But at the same time, I think that um, at the same time after that that call, Dan Campbell should have kicked the extra point and tied the game yeah. up at twenty, send it to overtime. If it's a tie, it's a tie. If you lose, you lose. At least you did it in overtime instead of going for two points at the end of the game. I thought it was gutsy, but at the same time, I think you go. I, I you kick the extra point after the penalty. There needs to be serious repercussions for this because not only were the Lions impacted, the Cowboys are impacted, the Eagles are impacted because of division races, because of seeding. If the Lions had won that game, there's a really good chance that they were going to be the number two seed and get two home games. Now it looks like it's probably going to be Dallas that gets two home games. So Detroit might have to go back to Dallas in the divisional round as opposed to getting that home game. So not only that, the Vikings could have been impacted. There were other teams that this impacted beyond just the two that happened to play in this game. And Brad Allen and crew should not be able to do any more NFL games the rest of the year because this isn't their first screw up. They did this in the, they called the Dolphins Eagles game where the Eagles had no penalties and the Dolphins had 10. They missed an obvious pass interference call on MVS and the Chiefs Packers game earlier in the season. So they've been in primetime stages several times before and blown a bunch of big calls in these kind of spots and how you don't see Taylor Decker reporting. There's no other reason for an offensive lineman to go talk to the official other than to tell him that he's an eligible receiver. No other reason. Zach, you, I actually never played football. You played football. You would be able to tell me you know, how mm-hmm. feasible this would be, but don't you think the coaches should just be the ones doing it? Like, don't th- like, would it be possible for the coaches to be the ones that tell the refs, like, hey, he's eligible, he's not eligible? Besides having the. It's possible, but yeah. it's, it, it would be more difficult. Usually, all the player has to do is just like tug on the jersey huh. or whatever or signal that they're an eligible receiver and the officials should know what they're doing. Do you think there will be any kind of like investigation into this? I mean, because that obviously that they, they would have won, the Lions would have won this game. And so I don't. I still, I, I'm not going to even say that because there were 23 seconds left and True. the Cowboys have a kicker in Brandon Aubrey who's made a 60-yarder and a 59-yarder, so it's not unreasonable to think that they could have driven in field goal range. It's just unfortunate that we didn't get to find out. Why do you think coaches are going for two-point conversions more in this uh, situation? I mean, I think the analytics probably just point out that it's because overtime is kind of a coin flip, literally a coin flip. Do you think the analytics just yes. point that there's a better chance to win the game by just going for two instead of tying it? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You get one play from the two and a half to three yard line, and usually you have a better chance of converting that than maybe having to rely on a coin flip. But I agree with Justin. Once the first one got called back, Dan Campbell should have just gone ahead and kicked the extra point after that. Of course, Lions, uh, you know, winning the division. So well, that, that's still taken care of. But yeah, what's. Uh, Bad look for the refs. I mean, refs have been under fire just in general this whole year. <laughs> so uh, this has this does not help that rhetoric one one bit. Dolphins, Ravens, Lamar Jackson's MVP. That's all I really yes, have to say. Yes, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Dolphins had no answer either side of the ball. But I'll let you guys. And the Ravens are the best team in the NFL. Yeah. They just beat the Niners and the Dolphins dominant in dominant fashion back to back weeks. Yeah. This is the team to beat going into the playoffs. Lamar is the MVP of the league and. Any questions that people have about him as a pocket passer should be answered. He's had mm-hmm. four perfect passer rating games. There's only a couple of guys that have had more than that in NFL history, and some of those guys are you know like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. So, I mean, no more questions should be asked about Lamar. No more questions should be asked about this Ravens team right now. And the questions continue to remain for the Dolphins, and they get an opportunity to solve it again on Sunday. Can they start? Beat, can they beat good teams? They beat the Cowboys last week. The Dallas has historically struggled on the road. Can the Dolphins get it done in playoff time? Do we truly trust yeah. them right now? I don't know if I do. Now I think you're starting to see the 
kind of turning of Lamar Jackson. I think you're going to see him more as a pocket passer, definitely more of a mobile passer, and very mobile quarterback as a dual-threat quarterback, and he stayed healthy this year, too, for I think the first time in his career he has stayed healthy and played all games. So I think this is, I mean, it's great for the Ravens, and they're probably the, they're definitely the favorites going into the playoffs, and they will probably win the Super Bowl this year in my opinion, against the 49ers. But I think that uh, but Lamar is 1-3 in the playoffs, but I think that's going to change this year, the way he's playing and the way the Ravens have been playing as a team. Got to stay healthy. But, yeah, no, um, Jackson became the fifth player in NFL history to have three career games with a perfect passer rating. That's with minimum of 15 passing attempts. He's joining Hall of Famers, Peyton Manning, Kurt Warner, uh, future Hall of Famers, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger as well. And, I mean, Jackson's just literally perfect. Ravens, best team in the league. They are also now, Ravens, the first team in NFL history to win consecutive regular season games by double-digit points against teams with at least 11 wins. And they didn't just win those games. They uh, destroyed the teams that they played. I mean, they he was when he won his first MVP, he was unanimous at that point, right? I think he was unanimous uh, the first time he won, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He's probably going to beat it again. That's that's amazing. I don't know if it'll be unanimous, but it you would. don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. No. I wouldn't be surprised. Christian McCaffrey I mean, might get some votes too, yeah, and maybe even Brock Purdy. But Brock Purdy, I don't think he. I I think it's Lamar Jackson at this point that gets yeah. it. I don't even know how many, how, unless you guys know how many people vote. I don't. I have no idea about anything like what, what what goes on in that. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's unanimous again. I mean, I know there's definitely a lot of people that might take votes away, but you know, he's, you know, he's absolutely deserving he will win it. it just might not be unanimous patriots bills uh bills annoy me they can't i mean the B- pats are terrible offense is still really bad zappy lost his magic that he had for a couple games there uh bills just they should have put the patriots away and they just weren't able to the bills i think are still a scary team they're still a team that teams do not want to play in the playoffs but they definitely concern me and things are just weird about the bills like i said i don't i didn't like how they let, they allowed the patriots to hang around as long as they did uh, on special teams, Buffalo allowed New England to score off an opening kickoff. Defense had takeaways, but they weren't able to really capitalize on those takeaways. They weren't able to just blow past the Patriots. That, that's despite Sappy throwing for three interceptions as well. And what are your thoughts about the Bills? I mean, what do you? What are your thoughts, Zach? I'll start with you. Like, just on the Bills in general. Like, do you trust them going into the playoffs, or do you think there's still a lot of just something weird about the Bills and that they still have a lot of holes and? You wouldn't be surprised with the first and maybe even especially a second round exit by Buffalo. Nothing the Bills can do in the postseason would surprise me. They could lose the wild card yep. game or they could win the Super Bowl. And neither of those things would surprise me. That's the that's kind of where this team is at right now. They're very uh, erratic, but they're very good at the same yep. time. If, when they put it together, they're one of the best teams in the league. But they're more than capable of getting bounced early. Yeah, no, they're... Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. Yeah, this I wouldn't be surprised either way, how, however way it goes. I don't think they're going to go far. Well, if they win this week, they'll be the two seed and get two home games. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think they, they could win this week. But if they, uh, if they do win this week and they're the two seed, they can get to the AFC title game. I mean, I know sure it sounds can. crazy, yeah, but I think they can definitely get to the AFC title game. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think Baltimore beats them. 
obviously. Allen kind of went back to making mistakes this game. I mean, he had a fumble and an interception. Had no, couldn't really find rhythm all game either. It kind of seemed like he did not throw a touchdown pass. Stefan Diggs didn't really show much either again. The duo only had 169 yards and 26 yards passing, respectfully. And so, yeah, Allen just, you know, like I said, they're, they're hot and cold. They really are. Like you said, Zach, they just, they can come out and beat the best team. Like they can come out, they can beat the Ravens on any given Sunday, but then they can also, you know, struggle against the Patriots. So it's, it's, it's a weird team and it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, how they show up in the playoffs. Falcons bears, um, probably the most complete victory for the bears all season long defense and offense offense controlled the clock for a lot of the day, a lot of the game, you know, they relied on a balanced attack of run and pass defensively four takeaways. You know, they gave the Falcons just a few plays that resulted in big games, but overall really held the foul, hold the, held the Falcons to just short dink and dunks that didn't really accomplish much. And like I said, the bears, bears are one of the best teams the second half of the season. They're not, obviously they're not, you know, going to do anything this year but i think they're building a lot of momentum going in the next year of course they will have that first round pick uh from the panthers so that's something that you know they're going to be able to get a draft pick from that as well and i wouldn't be surprised that the bears are one of the best teams not not one of the best teams but they're definitely going to be a potential playoff team uh in the nfc next year uh just going off this momentum that they've been building this second half of the season and with how justin fields has been playing yeah i mean i think he's given them a lot to think about this offseason i think justin fields probably bought himself another year in chicago and i think matt Eberflus might have bought himself another year in chicago with the way that this thing has played out i think they've got an opportunity to trade that number one pick for a king's ransom because somebody's going to want to trade up and get caleb williams i think they could do something similar to what they did a year ago except probably get a whole lot more because Caleb Williams, I think, is a more valued prospect than uh, Bryce Young was a year ago. So I think the Bears are a fascinating situation. I think Arthur Smith could be one of the coaches that gets the Ziggy on Black Monday because he can't use B. John Robinson and Drake London and Kyle Pitts correctly, and I'm sure there's a lot of offensive minds out there that can't. They need a QB, obviously. Atlanta, badly, badly. And, um, yeah, I mean, Fields, speaking of QB, though, Fields, do you think there's any – I mean, you think Fields – earned his job next year with, with uh, the Bears, at least for one more season. 20, 20 for 32 on uh, on Sunday, uh, 268 passing yards, one passing touchdown. He ran he ran 11 times as well for 45 yards. So played really well, over 300 total yards of offense and uh, only missed a couple of throws. And like I said, he's been playing pretty well all uh, this whole second half of the season. And people at Soldier Field even were chanting for his name and they're really happy with what he's been showing. And so you think, Zach, he's he's going to be back for next year. They don't they don't use his number one draft pick on a, on a quarterback? I think it's about 60-40 that he's back. Hmm. I'm not certain, but I think it's more likely that he is than he isn't. Do you think he could be potentially uh, bundled into that, you know, trade deal that, they, that they're going to have for that first round pick and get, you know, get some really nice playmakers that can help? Certainly possible. Raiders Colts, the run game for the Colts finally gets going. Backfield combined for yeah. 131 rushing yards, average just under five yards per carry. Uh, Taylor, uh, just under four yards per carry at halftime, and then uh, uh, four and a half uh, yards per carry to finish the game. And he had 96 rushing yards himself. Gardner Minshew continues to be to, to be solid for the for the Colts. Yep, Jonathan Taylor looked pretty good. Uh, the running game finally got going. I'd like to see him finish a little bit better in the red zone, but Gardner Minshew has been a godsend as the backup quarterback this year. And I'm really impressed with what this team has done on the defensive side of the ball. They get pressure on the quarterback. Secondary is mostly held up 
Shane Steichen, I think, should be up there for coach of the year. I know Kevin Stefanski is the front runner, and I think he's going to get it, and I think deservedly so. But Shane Steichen, it should mm-hmm. not be overlooked. The job that he's done this year with a backup quarterback, you know, missing Jonathan Taylor for a decent portion of the season, missing Michael Pittman for a couple weeks. He's really gotten this team into playoff consideration. I think he's done a really nice job. What do you think, speaking of coaches, I mean, what do you think Antonio Pierce, what, what do you think happens with him next year? Do you think the Raiders just keep him? Because this game wasn't that great. Defense struggled majorly against the Colts. And, uh, you know, but he is coming off two stellar back-to-back outings against the Chargers and the Chiefs, of course. So it's kind of a weird weird time for Antonio Pierce. I mean, he's definitely shown flashes that he could be the guy, could be the coach, uh, at, at, you know, in Las Vegas. But then again, he has a game like this. And I think Harbaugh is going to be with the Raiders. There's a potential yeah. possibility that Harbaugh leaves Michigan and goes to a team like the Raiders or the Chargers even. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, Bears too, potentially. I know Bears are kind no, of No, I don't think the well. Bears. I, no? I think the Bears probably, that they might stick with Eberflus, but I think Harbaugh goes to Vegas or he goes to the Chargers. Panthers, Jaguars. Jaguars beat the Panthers. They should have beat the Panthers and the Panthers offense are just, it's just terrible. Bryce Young struggles. He continues to struggle. Completed only 19 of his 32 passes, only 112 yards. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to say about this. Jaguars are, you know, like I said, get right game. I don't know. I don't know if you have anything else you guys want to say <laughs> say about this game. Well, the uh, erratic owner basically for the Panthers yeah. got fined for that mm-hmm. incident in the box where he spilled a drink on uh, the Jaguars fan. I mean, that guy is just so erratic right there, and then <laughs> yeah. firing Frank Reich after one year, and then firing coaches. Basically, I mean. That team's in, in disarray yeah. right there. It starts yeah. at the top. Well, what was it, like $300,000 he got fined? Which yeah, like, like 300000 Nothing 000. to him, really. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's just uh, – that. I mean, you talk about a dumpster fire of, a, fire of an organization. Panthers are definitely in that category. Titans, Texans. Uh, I mean, Will Levis, he struggled the entire day behind that abysmal offensive line of the Titans. That's really my biggest takeaway. Stroud played really good too. But besides that, I mean, Will Levis, I think, can definitely be a, a really good player for the Titans. Not just the Titans, but just in the NFL in general. He definitely has shown flashes to be an NFL caliber quarterback. But he needs a way better offensive line than what he had yep. on Sunday. And But Stroud, I mean, played well. Like I said, for you know Houston's side, 213 total yards, touchdown. First game back from a concussion. And, I mean, he really just showed – how much the Texans need Shroud to be a confident football team. And, uh, you know, because they struggled without him. And then, of course, him coming back, you know, helped them roll to a 26-3 win over the Titans. And the Titans have to figure out something fast. Frank Vrabel probably won't be there next year. Or Mike Vrabel, excuse me. He won't be there next year. Um, you know, offensive line's a mess. I don't know what they're going to really do. But I really hope they don't squander uh, Will Levis's talent because he's really fun to watch. And I'm not the only one saying that he's probably going to be a really good quarterback if he can continue to develop. And he just needs needs help, needs a better offensive line, and just needs better playmakers around him. Houston secondary peaking at the right time, that's for sure too. That's my my only other takeaway. Secondary played really really well, and you know that could be another team like the Bills, a little bit that people definitely don't want to play in the first round because they're they're a sneaky sneaky good team that can be very explosive on games, especially if Bryce or uh, CJ Stroud uh, gets hot and gets going. Rams Giants Rams. Costly turnovers in this game. Turnovers just continue to be a major, major problem for uh, Los Angeles. I mean, they only beat 
the Giants by one point. Los Angeles, much better team than the Giants. They want to be a true playoff contender. They need to get these turnovers taken care of and taken care of fast because it helped keep the Giants in this game all game. And uh, yeah, which is pretty much pretty ugly, all things considered. And they need to kind of uh, clean that up. Giants are fighting. I mean, they're resilient. They're a, resi- a resilient yep. team. That's for sure. They don't quit. Um, it's won three of its last six. Beat, uh, you know, gave the Eagles a run for their money. Of course, they you know they're going to play them again on Sunday. You know, they might not end the season on a winning streak, but they're finishing with enough drive and momentum to suggest that Dable might be able to turn things around in 2024 with the way they've been playing the second half of the season. Yeah, I think that. Uh... Dable definitely earned himself the job there for another year in uh, in New York. Past the two-year slate for the recent yep. coaches before Ryan Dable. I don't think there was ever any real consideration they were going to fire him, but I do like that they're showing yeah, no. some fight. And look, the Rams, yes, they turned the ball over, but I mean, they've run the balls pretty successfully the last few weeks. Uh, Matthew Stafford's looked good. Rams are in the playoffs, regardless of what happens on Sunday, and they're going to be a very dangerous team because they're playing some good football right now. They are. They're going to be a sneaky team. In the NFC, we talk about the Texans and the Bills on the AFC side. For a team might not want to play in the first round, especially a higher ranked team in that in that you know wild card round. But Rams are definitely that team in the NFC. We've said we've said that multiple times throughout the show. They're definitely that team in the NFC that nobody wants to play in the first round. Giants, Tyrod Taylor. Do you think he's going to stick around next year? I mean, he's shown flashes. He's definitely has shown potential to be the guy. Possibly as a backup. Possibly as a backup, but. Giants got a quarterback situation on their hands. Daniel Jones' contract is still kicking in, and then um, then you got the DeVito, and then Tyrod Taylor. Now, yeah, he's gone. But do they take a quarterback? <laughs> I mean, they have some they have some questions at the quarterback position. Can't take a quarterback after just paying Jones all that money. But I mean, Tyrod Taylor played better than Jones all season long. So I mean, nothing else. Getting a job somewhere else next year. Or, you know, at least being a very solid backup for the Giants going forward. All right, Justin. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. <laughs> Cardinals, Eagles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have at it, boys. Bad. Very bad. Yes, have yeah. at it. Sirianni could be the biggest fraud right here in Philadelphia. I mean, you don't know how to use the offensive talent on this team. Jalen Hurts. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, DeAndre Swift. I mean, the, look at the talent on the offense here. I mean, this is this this is a coaching issue, and you have A.J. Brown not speaking to, to the media until yesterday, where I guess he kind of defended Sirianni and the coaching staff, but this is not a good situation here. And Sirianni has lost the locker room. Sirianni has lost the locker room, and I think this is uh, danger for the Eagles going into the playoffs. 29 points in the second half for the Cardinals. Kyler Murray went off in the second half. I mean, it was really the most efficient half of football Arizona had all season. There's no doubt about that. They had possession of the ball for more than 17 of the final 30 minutes, just under 40 minutes of the entire game. People were saying, you know, for a get-right game for the Eagles, they they had the win by like two, three scores. People were making this pretty much a lock for the Eagles, and of course, they just ended up being uh, outplayed by the Cardinals, by a worser Cardinals team. Saints-Bucks, bad game for the Bucks. I They were having a lot of momentum going into this game, but the Saints were able to get the win. Derek Carr made some great throws. Um, they look, Saints still alive, 
um, and the NFC South, and the Bucks just simply didn't look like themselves. I mean, Tampa Bay produced a season high of four turnovers. Uh, the offense for Tampa Bay was kept really just off balance the entire game, and Tampa Bay converted just two of eight third down tries while the Saints converted eight of their 18. Saints have been pretty inconsistent all year, but were able to get a win against the Bucs. And like I said, just a bad overall look on the Bucs, uh, all things considered, especially, you know, losing that momentum. That's probably the biggest, biggest concern for the Bucs going down the lines. They, they lost that momentum that they had going in to this game, uh, playing well their last three, four games. 49ers commanders, commanders definitely should have lost that game. 49ers definitely should have beat, beat the commanders and they did. Sunday late slate, Steelers Seahawks. Uh, Steelers played pretty well. Uh, I, what do you guys think about the Steelers going down this? Um, you know, these last three, four games of the season. Rudolph, of course, is going to be playing on Sunday. He is he is taking Kenny Pickett's job on Week 18. Kenny Pickett, of course, is healthy now. He can be playing, but Steelers going for Mason Rudolph the last game of the season in this uh, literal must win for the Steelers to make the playoffs. The Steelers a scary team heading down. Uh, you know. This, uh, this last stretch of the season going into the playoffs. Yeah, last two weeks, 34 points against the Bengals and 30 points against the Seahawks against two decent defenses. And George Pickens looks revitalized. The running game looks revitalized. Mason Rudolph might have been the guy who should have been starting all season long. And this team now has an opportunity. What they need is to win and have either Buffalo or Jacksonville lose, and they would get into the playoffs. And Mike Tomlin is an absolute wizard at getting his teams to finish strong down the stretch because they always seem to be either the last team in the playoffs or the last team out of the playoffs with rosters that are not particularly all that good, and he's doing it again. Bengals Chiefs, overall, I mean, Chiefs are just playing very sloppy. We're able to get the win, of course, against the Bengals. But, I mean, the, the theme for the Chiefs this whole season has just been making life way more difficult for themselves. Can't catch a ball. Defense playing at an elite level. And the offense just not holding on to their side of the bargain. Patrick Mahomes, not at fault. It's really just the offense, his playmakers around him. And people just being off sync, all things considered. And it's just been showing. Luckily for them, though, the Bengals' offense did stall. I mean, Browning completed only 19 of 31 of his passes, 197 total yards, and only one touchdown, just 32 yards rushing as well. Before we move on to Chargers, Broncos, Chiefs, I mean, they just, they won this game, like I said, but they they look very off. No, the receivers can't get open. They can't hold on to the ball. They were able to win this game with their defense, and I think they might have to adjust their formula now. Patrick Mahomes makes, makes a couple of plays every game. They rely on their defense, which has been very good throughout the year. And then they get the running game going. Isaiah Pacheco actually had a pretty good day running the football. So I think this might have to be the new formula for the Chiefs to make a run this year. And I know it sounds crazy, but you still got Patrick Mahomes. You still got Andy Reid. I'm not discounting this team when they get to the playoffs, especially if they're going up against a team with less experience than them, you know, depending on who that those wild card teams are. If it ends up being like Miami, for instance, you know, having to play in the cold Kansas City, I think the Chiefs would have a pretty good chance to win that game if they end up dealing with the AFC South. You know, I'm not counting the Chiefs out until they're officially out of this whole thing. Ninth season in a row with double-digit wins is tied for the third-best consecutive total ever. You look at the field test and look at the eye test of this team, and it just it just does not hold up. They do not look like a, like a Super Bowl caliber team. Chargers Broncos biggest storyline. I mean, Chargers uh, no offense at all. Two for eleven on third downs. Um, that's, uh, that was actually even better than their zero for 12 mark against the Broncos earlier in the month. Two matchups combined chargers, Broncos, the chargers converted just two of their 23 third down bigger story though. And I'll use this game recap to kind of touch on this real fast guys. Stridham backup quarterback for the Broncos. He came in 
Uh, of course, in lieu of Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson is being benched due to that contract dispute. Do you feel bad for Russell Wilson or a lot of teams right now need a quarterback pretty badly? I think so. Uh, yeah, I think Russell Wilson is not going to be with the Broncos next year, potentially. And I think it's going to be an NFC team, maybe even an AFC team. But I don't think the Broncos are going to keep him after his relationship with Sean McVay, uh, with uh, Sean Payton. And uh, yeah, I, I think he's he possibly might be out in Denver, but I think changes are coming. Well, I'd like to say doubt that he's out in Denver when they don't want to pay him the injury bonus and all that kind of stuff. I think he got kind of robbed on that deal because it's not Russell Wilson's fault they signed the contract. The Broncos offered him that amount of money and he just happened to take it. And so now they're trying to tell him, no, we paid you too much. Like that, that shouldn't be how it works. But there's no doubt he's not going to be in Denver next year. And you could see it kind of boiling a couple weeks ago when Sean Payton was yelling at Russell Wilson on a Saturday primetime game against the Lions. And it's more than just the usual, like, okay, get lined up, blah, blah, blah. It, it seemed more than that, and we're seeing why now. Jarrett Shittle, uh, the 27-year-old, he did go 20 for 32, 224 yards with only one touchdown. <laughs> Numbers not too dissimilar from a typical Wilson game in uh 2023 last game real fast sunday night football packers moved the ball with ease vikings could not stop it and vikings had absolutely no offense so that's my only takeaway from this game we don't have to really go much into this uh packers averaged 6.4 yards per play and scored on six of their nine drives prior to the garbage time of course and like i said vikings just had absolutely no no answer on either side of the ball they couldn't stop the packers and they definitely couldn't score either so that was really i mean vikings just threw in the towel this game was a it clear clear indication that vikings just threw in the towel this season uh come back next year with a healthy kirk cousins and see what they can do i think the packers are still in playoff consideration if i'm not considered yeah they would be in right now they're actually the last wild cards oh they are yep okay must win probably this weekend though against the bears i can only imagine yeah no doubt about it you can't get in with eight wins new week's resolutions Zach, we'll start with you. What is your new week's resolution? Yeah, new week's resolution. I want to see the officials have to actually go out and take accountability. You know, every time a coach messes up a play call or a quarterback fumbles the ball or throws a pick late, you know what they have to do? They have to go to the media and talk about it afterwards. We never hear the officials go to the media and talk about how they blew a call. We always see whenever a player or a coach calls out the officials, they get fined. Nobody ever, when people call out players or coaches, they don't get fined. Officials get protected more than anybody in the National Football League. And it's time now with the officiating crisis that we have, you know, this can't happen anymore. There's too many big games that are being decided or being significantly impacted by officials. It's time for them to take accountability, whether that means they start losing jobs, whether it means that we have more full-time refs, whether it means that they have to go meet the media afterward. You have to do something different because officials cannot be coddled the way that they are. That's been something people have been clamoring for for a while is making officials uh, at least say something. Not, maybe not every game, but when it's a clear, clear screw up, I mean, making them to at least have 10 minutes of press time. So atone for their sins. My new week's resolution. I'm going to change mine because Justin, I think uh, I think I had yours, but. I'm going to go with, I guess, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers, maybe. I, I don't really know what a resolution would be, but Aaron Rodgers apologizing. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, of course, on the uh, Pat McAfee show, he basically said that Jimmy Kimmel is on the Epstein list that's coming out. And very awkward situation for ESPN. Pat McAfee, uh, ESPN employee now, and Jimmy Kimmel, also a uh, Disney employee owned by the same branch, Disney. So uh, Jimmy Kimmel said he's probably going to come out with legal disputes <laughs> against this uh, for slandering his name. 
And uh, it's going to be an awkward situation for ESPN. So yeah, Aaron Rodgers coming on, Pat McAfee show, making things a little muddy for Kimmel and uh, Pat McAfee. And so it's going to be an, an interesting thing. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers, for his, for his new week's resolutions, if he can rectify this situation at all. But just an overall crazy, crazy scenario, crazy story. And Aaron Rodgers just continuing to uh, yeah make headlines and uh, be a, you know, be a guy that likes being in the news. That's for sure. Justin, what is your new week's resolution? Yes. Back to the NFL refereeing problems. It's time to remove the refing crew with the Cowboys and the Lions. The Brad Allen crew should not be able to ref any more NFL games. Maybe not just for the playoffs, but possibly for the foreseeable future. And it's time for referee and it's time for refereeing crews to take more account and Starting with the NFL, they need to take more account for the poor officiating by the refs the last few years. Let's move on. Interview. Daryl Johnson. uh, Daryl Guru Johnson, 95-7, the game in San Francisco. Going to break down 49ers clinching the NFC, what that means for the team going into the playoffs and just touch base on their season in general, just getting up to this point, the amazing season that they were able to have. Kind of touch base on the little three-game losing streak that they had as well. That could that put a little bit of a stain on their record. But might get into some Warriors talk as well, going into about the mid-season mark of the NBA season. So without any further ado, let's head all the way west and talk to Daryl Johnson in San Francisco. Okay, we now head to the West Coast, bring back on Daryl Johnson. Daryl the Guru Johnson, as he's known, uh, at 95.7 The Game in San Francisco, uh, host of Signing Guru, 10 to 2 Pacific Time. That's Is that on Odyssey, uh, uh, Daryl? Oh, uh, yes, what? sir. Yeah, you can download it and find us on the Odyssey app. Happy New Year to you. All right, man. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. Happy to have you back on. Like I said, it's been a long time. I think we had you back on in the beginning of April. It's been a, been a long time. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Had to bring you back on, though. I mean, obviously, uh, April, we talked football season, out of season at that point. 49ers had a pretty bad loss to the Eagles in the conference playoffs. Of course, their whole team was hurt almost at that point. But now they go into the playoffs, winning that they won the conference, get that first round by. Team is healthy. Team is rolling. So I'm just going to ask you a general question first, and then we can kind of go more in detail with the team from there. What are the fans thinking about this team, man? I mean, they are home wreckers. They look like absolute just domination. I mean, they had that little spiff against the Ravens. We'll get to that in a second. But just overall, like, what are the vibes of the fan base going on right now? Is it pretty much just no other expectations besides the Super Bowl at this point for this team uh, going into the playoffs here in a week? Uh, no doubt about it. And we coined the phrase on the show, Stani and Guru, Super Bowl or bust. Mm-hmm. And early on in the season, a lot of people had a lot of problems with that. But now you look at McCaffrey, 1,000 yards. The two receivers with Debo Ayuk and your tight end with a thousand yards, and and Brock Purdy doing what he's doing. If you look at the landscape of the NFL, at least to me, there is no reason now Kyle Shanahan shouldn't be hoisting that Lombardi Trophy in Las Vegas. That is the expectation, and now it's not even the dirty little secret. You mentioned the Ravens, and we'll get to it. That little slip up, but there's not a Baltimore Ravens in the NFC, so fans are like, okay, Kyle. It, you got everything, it, a coach's dream at your disposal. There's no reason you can't win it, especially with that defense. 
So we'll see how he handles the pressure and his team. Yeah, kind of a weird question I have. I mean, did the team the team didn't really didn't seem like the team changed that much since last year, except just with the injury concerns. I mean, really, the team is the same as it was last year. Didn't really change too too much, uh, but they're just healthy now. Is that correct? I mean, going into the playoffs, that's really the biggest difference. Yeah, you know what? Had we talked right before Christmas, I feel like what you just said in regard to health, the Red Cross, you you were correct. But right now it's kind of funny. I don't know if you caught the commander game, Christian McCaffrey, and we know he's excellent and stellar. But let's be honest, he's had some injury histories throughout his career. But uh, he was held out the end of that game against the commanders. And, again, it really didn't mean much. But at the end of the day, he's got a calf issue, a hamstring. And when you look at Trent Williams and his age and just how physical his position is, you think, okay, maybe we can use uh, three weeks or two weeks. And Brock Purdy, my biggest concern is that stinger issue. So all in all, they're healthy, but there are some things to where, hmm, could things flare up? And if you talk about McCaffrey out of this offense, I'm not saying they wouldn't click, but if I'm an opposing defense, I'd be like, oh, my goodness, we got action. We saw the three-game losing streak coincide with Trent Williams being gone. So this rest that they earned through the bye is just – impeccable timing because they're healthy but I want to say they're not if they had to play this week so this rest will do them good and we'll see how far they can go if they can't get it all done uh come playoff time I mean what has this team been doing so well I mean besides just I mean they're obviously playing excellent on both sides of the ball they're rolling on offense they're you know a lot they're not really they're holding opponents on defense as well besides just the amount of dudes that, that they have. I mean, of course, they the Pro Bowl selections came out yesterday. They have nine. That's I think the second most team has like six or something, right? It's like it's insane. They have nine Pro Bowlers going. Uh, my my numbers might be off, but it definitely is I think the most out of any team in the league. So just besides besides having just the dudes, like what is this team doing so well? I mean, we'll start on offense. I mean, is there any one thing you can really pinpoint that this team is doing just so well on the offensive side of the ball that to to really um you know you know, be as successful as they're being. You know what? I call it the rest in peace to the queen, Olivia Newton-John. Uh, let's get physical. And normally that's pretty, you, you save that for uh, defense. But the Niners' offense is physical. They don't have the best offensive line, but their, their uh, run scheme, they just bring the pain. You watch the receivers. You watch George Kittle, the tight end block. That, that's what they do. You watch the playmakers get the ball in regard to yak. And I ain't talking about Cognac or Hennessy. I'm talking about yards after the catch. All these guys just exhibit, you know, just the uncanny ability to, to make defenders have to tackle them or gang tackle them. So, to me, on both sides of the ball, the San Francisco 49ers under Kyle Shanahan, for better or worse, they just bring an a element of physicality that I don't see from other teams. And I think it wears opposing, uh, you know, defenses down and offenses for that matter, because if you look at the record of the teams the week after they play the Niners, it's well under 500. Now, you can say, okay, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of cooking the books there, but I'm not. So to answer your question, it's just an element of physicality, regardless if it's the offense or defense. Yeah, talk about this team. I know one thing you hear about the 49ers 
constantly over and over. And you can see it on the field too when you watch watch them play is they play for each other more than any other team does. I mean, they're really all unselfish players. They really all play for each other. They have one track mindset, and that is to win. And they really know that it takes teamwork and really, you know, having the other guys back in order to make that happen. Just speak on that for, you know, just a second, just their ability to just, just to work together and really play as a team unit. No, that's an astute point. And, you know, I don't want to pick on anybody, but if you watched any Philadelphia Eagle game, you see during times, during the game, A.J. Brown, uh, you know, we could look at Devontae Adams at times this year with his frustration, and we say, oh, it's okay because a wide receiver, you know, they're divas or whatnot. But it's so funny you bring that up. You're right. You look at these the, the, the Niner pie distribution to Kyle Shanahan, and I believe it comes with pressure on making sure everybody's fed. But, you know, a lot of people, and I'm one of them, have come for Kyle Shanahan because, I thought sometimes the situational play calling left a lot to be desired. But at the end of the day, I've doubled back and given him all the credit in the world because it starts with him. Those guys play for each other. They block. If they get two targets or two catches and the other guy's getting eight, you never see any blow-ups. And after the game, the words are, you know, just they're like uh, beautiful music because the guys are saying, it's not about me. It's about the team, the red and gold. So to me, that's the first thing I say about, hey, how good of a coach is Kyle Shanahan? I say he's a great coach because what he's preaching, they're listening, and then they're also going out and backing it up by not being selfish and wanting to see their brothers succeed. Yeah, you bring up the Eagles, um, and I am going to just kind of bring them in as well real fast. In reference to the three-game losing streak that the 49ers had earlier on in the season, of course, Eagles are going through their own problems right now. They just had a three-game losing streak. They had a get-right game, and then they, of course, lost to the Cardinals. Now, it's interesting, though, because the Eagles, if you look in, online, um, you know, read anything online and just the rhetoric going on around Philadelphia, the Eagles are in big, big trouble. They're broken. Locker room is gone. They, you know, that happened after they lost three games, but the 49ers lost three games and the sky didn't seem to really be falling. So what do you think was the difference between the 49ers and their three game losing streak and the Eagles in theirs? Because these teams going into the season, and it still very well might be the case, but these teams going into the season were expected to have a rematch of the uh, conference championship game of last year. Didn't know if it would be in uh, Philadelphia, didn't know if it would be in San Francisco, but it is, it was, and probably still is expected that this will be the rematch going into the conference uh, finals for the NFC. So why do you think the narrative was just so different between the Eagles now and the 49ers, uh, you know, earlier in the season with both of their three-game losing streaks? Of course, Eagles, um, theirs came later in the year, of course, and that doesn't help going into the playoffs. But I want to get your thoughts on it. Like, what do you think was the difference between just how the fans and the overall media reacted to these uh, skids that the teams had? Wow. I mean, you hit that. That's a great question. And I'll tell you what, I was panicked. Uh, when the Niners lost three in a row. And the one constant was we saw something from Brock Purdy, who, who was living a dream, still is, had a movie-like start to his career. I wasn't used to him turning the ball over or throwing interceptions. Now, I'm not blaming the three-game losing streak on Brock Purdy, but the one constant was Debo Samuel and Trent Williams were not there. So I think, you know, that might have went a long way with Brock Purdy not winning the MVP because when you needed him to step up most, he didn't. But you didn't ask me that. You asked me about how did the Niners stick together, and I think it starts with the infrastructure. And you look at Kyle Shanahan and the two defensive coordinators that have now left San Francisco consecutive years and gone on to get head coaching jobs, and Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryan. And you look at Sirianni, who 
I'm starting to think now is just a guy, and I don't want to sound harsh. And the reason I say he's just a guy is, guess what? He lost his coordinator, his defensive coordinator, and offensive coordinator, and look what's going on now. Now Matt Patricia's called. They're playing musical chairs with the mm-hmm. defensive coordinator this late in the season. So all, I say all that to say is the message Kyle Shanahan's teaching his guys, uh, the credibility that I think Kyle Shanahan has, and the fact that he can display without being cocky or arrogant, hey, just focus on the task at hand. I'm the leader. You guys are what makes it go round. And it's going to be good and bad days. And we got to, you know, we got to stay the same. We got to stay even keel. And I think that's the difference during the three-game losing streak as opposed to a 10-1 Philadelphia Eagles losing five or six, but they're finger-pointing. So it's bad. And I think that's the difference is infrastructure within the locker room where Kyle Shanahan has command and Sirianni, to a degree, is getting exposed. Following up on that, and it's kind of a general question, uh, Daryl, but, you know, I'll let you take it any way you want to take it. Besides injuries, like, what is this 49ers team, and really the fan base in general, what are they most afraid of going into the playoffs? It can be a specific matchup in the NFC. Um, It can be just a a play scheme by another team. Like, is there something in particular that – this would this team is concerned about going into the playoffs like like an Achilles heel almost going into the playoffs. You know what? It's it's interesting because something has just reared its head. I'll call it a pimple. We'll see how big it gets. You know, maybe you could you know put some oxy ten on and they'll go away. But it's the 49ers defense uh, inability to stop the run. So a couple of weeks ago they played the you know I'll call them the lonely Arizona Cardinals. Uh, that's what their record would would state, and they got to, they ran for 232 yards on the stout Niner D. So you know we were just like, you know what, just just a kind of a bad day uh, at the office for the Niners run D. Then they come and we see them against Tampa Bay. They didn't run all over them, but they had a little success. Baltimore at times had success. So I'm sitting here now with uh, you know some trepidation because Eric Armstead's dealing with the foot injury, and I didn't mention him earlier. And I thought he was the byproduct of Bosa and Hargrave in that defensive front. But he's a big, big reason why the Niners have been stout against the run. And now all of a sudden, we don't know when he's coming back. So this bye just comes to the excellent time. But we don't know how, how much of himself he's going to be. So all in all right now, the Niners' inability to stop the run to their standards is something that I'm going to be watching when the Niners take the field against whoever they play. Because if it's the Rams, Detroit, uh, it won't be Dallas, most likely. Those teams can run the ball. So we'll see if, one, Armstead is back. And if uh, Steve Wilkes and his defensive unit can kind of just say, you know what, that was a blip on the radar, nothing to see here. But if you can run on the Niners, it can be a long day for the Niner defense. Last question for the Niners before, you know, finish up real fast with the Warriors. Um, counterparts in the AFC, Ravens also clinched the division. Um, as much as you don't want to hear this, do you think Lamar Jackson is a runaway with the MVP at this point? I mean, there's a couple of people on the 49ers right. that could also be contenders, so I want to get your thoughts on that real fast before moving on. All right, well, I'll tell you, I'm a 70s baby, and I just hate the fact, the reason I bring that up is I remember then a running back was appreciated. So all in all, I hate that this – this award since 2012 has gone to a quarterback. Last non-quarterback was Adrian Peterson, and I hate it. 
So it would be for me, Tyreek Hill or Christian McCaffrey, but I do understand it's not. And right now I, I've given issued an apology to the Ravens team, their coach, and one Lamar Jackson. He has been phenomenal. And what he did and what they did Christmas night against this Niner team, I'm still in shock. So to me, uh, putting up 56 points up against Miami, and I'm still shocked at, at how much he's improved passing the ball and his ability to escape pressure has a Ravens and that defense hits pretty. Yeah, it would be interesting, though, if McCafferty did. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately, because I think Lamar is pretty much, I think he almost locked it up at this point, in my personal opinion. But yeah. it would be interesting if McCaffrey did win it, especially with uh, the rhetoric that was going on with running backs before the season started. So we'll see what happens there. But, Daryl, it's been awesome. I do want to, you know, ask just one general question about the Warriors. I mean, Draymond Green, he's still okay. out. Obviously, he, with that suspension, I think like January 5th or like January somewhere like in early. Well, you know, coming up here in early January, he's supposed to come back. I don't know if you've heard any updates about, you know, his return and when he can expect to be back with the team. It's kind of funny you ask that. Coach Kerr said some things yesterday that has Warrior fans thinking his Draymond Green played his last game with the Golden State Warriors yesterday. When asked about Green's return or an update, Steve Kerr because Green's able to work out and practice with the team. So when I first initially heard that, I'm like, what kind of suspension is that? Not that I was mad or hating. I was just like, okay, he'll be around his boys, nothing to see here. It'll be like the other suspension. Steve Kerr said Draymond Green has not been at the facility. They needed time away from Green, and he needed time away from the team. People felt like, wow, for a coach to say his team needed space from Draymond Green in a time he's supposed to be getting counseling or, or whatever's going on, I, I'm like, wow, you know, could we see a trade involving Green? And then this morning, I'm driving to work. As we talk, uh, it's come out that Draymond Green is now going to release a podcast within the next few hours. So to me, when I first heard that, I didn't like it. I don't know what's going to be said, but it sounds to me that Draymond Green didn't like what Coach Kerr said about their lack of contact. So I'm wondering where this thing is going and if the Warriors are going to move on from Draymond Green. Hmm. His podcast, I'm assuming, uh, he's, he's going to release it on. Yes, sir. Draymond's podcast. Yeah, yeah sorry about In, that. Interesting. All right. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Okay. Well, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, a little uh, – I'll be yeah. – I mean, you speak of a trade. I guess my last question about the Warriors, I mean, you speak of a trade involving Draymond. I mean, you, obviously you don't know what that would look like, but just any chance this team turns things around second half of the season. Of course, they're out – if the season ended right now, still early in the season, Ooh, they would be out of the man. playing tournament. They're, you know, 11th in, the, 11th in the West, 16 and 17, just under 500. Any chance, like any outlook, anything on the horizon that this team can turn things around, uh, you know, in the what, next half of the year? Half, half, half of the when you're – when the Bay Area – no doubt. No, when the Bay sitting with Steph Curry, I'm sorry. You still – you're supposed to have a championship window, and I'm not blaming Steph, but – I'm looking at what's going on with LeBron James, and every time uh, and he's three years older than Steph, every time his name comes up, we look at him through a championship prism. The same rules apply to Steph Curry. So I don't know why they're one game under 500. They got a chance to beat the Nuggets tonight. But all in all, you got Steph Curry. Um, you should be a factor in the Western Conference. So we'll. I'm going to say yes until I see if this team and dynasty is really over and, you know, with the – the trials and tribulations with Clay Thompson trying to find consistency, but I'm gonna say yes to you. It's not over, and they can they can turn it around. 
But I'm trembling when I say that because right now it doesn't look good. Clay's there too. Obviously, Steph, we can have a whole other conversation about Steph. That's a whole other – that'll be a whole other interview at yeah. this point. I mean, things we can say about him changing the game. And, Darrell, we – uh, you know, th- thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be in touch for sure, and, you know, we'd love to have you on again in the future. Hey, thank you. You know where to find me. I enjoy myself every time I come, and Happy New Year to you. All right, man. Yeah, you take care, right? We'll be in touch, and I'll, I'll okay. talk to you soon, okay? All right. Uh, have a good day. Hey, you too, man. Okay, let's finish up with our maker and fakers of the week. Justin, who is your maker of the week? My maker of the week is the Pittsburgh Steelers running game against the Seattle Seahawks. The Steelers do need to do that more going into the playoffs. Najee Harris had 122 rushing yards on 27 attempts and two touchdowns. Jalen Warren also had a touchdown run on 13 attempts for 75 yards. Steelers running game is very good, was very good this week, and the Steelers need to keep running the ball if they make it to the playoffs and uh, and get on a run here. My maker of the week, I'm gonna we I had on we had on Steve McGeehee uh, last last week uh, in between Christmas and New Year's. The Oklahoma City Thunder, second in the West right now, Tuesday night's victory against the Celtics. Uh, they now uh, are second in the West. They won eight of their last nine games, and they are now at twenty-three in nine. Uh, that span, you know, they that these last nine games has featured teams like uh, the Nuggets, the defending champion Nuggets. I just said the Celtics as well. So they're playing amazing basketball right now. They are the second youngest team in the NBA, and they're putting together a roster that can be considered a contender. I mean, they're following up from their uh, 40 and 42 season last year. They own the league's fourth best record right now. Like I said, they are now second in the West currently. They went third in net rating uh, with a plus 8.5, fourth in defensive rating at 110.7, and fifth in overall offensive rating at uh, just over 119 as well. Gilgis Alexander, playing absolutely insane 36 points on 14 for 22 shooting on Tuesday night against the Celtics and this team is just clicking in all cylinders right now like I said we had on Steve McGee from Oklahoma City we broke down this team in depth in that interview uh just what they're doing right and why they've been so explosive and you know what has really been working for them and it's just been absolutely an amazing story like I said they were one of the worst teams in the league for a long time now and you know something something switched a, a uh definitely something uh clicked uh, on this team going into the season, they are playing like one of the best teams in the league. And Zach, what is your maker of the week? Maker of the week, Jordan Love, 24 33, 256 yards, three touchdown passes, also rushed for a touchdown, and possibly leading the Packers to the playoffs in his first year as a starter, which is something that neither Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers did. A lot of people had some serious doubts about him because he didn't look, particularly look all that great in the few times he was able to fill in for Aaron Rodgers, plus he had to sit for three years. He has been very good this season I think he's been one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL it actually has better numbers than both Rodgers and Favre did in their first year and if he can finish the deal on Sunday and get them into the playoffs the Packers for sure are not taking a quarterback they might have their future and you know we kept saying is it possible for Green Bay to not have great quarterback play here's the answer is no because Jordan Love has been very good this year we talked about the Packers and well in the playoff consideration just at the win this weekend against the the Bears which will be Pretty good game. Bears have been playing really well, and Packers obviously have a must-win coming up. So it's going to be a good game. And yeah, you're right. Jordan Love playing playing very well. Faker of the week. Justin, what is your faker of the week? Nick Sirianni, <laughs> head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Pom-Poms. He's basically a cheerleader. Basically, I mean, this guy on the sidelines as well, when they're winning, 
going after the fans of the opposing team, basically just jumping on the bench, acting like a fan instead of a coach. I mean, Sirianni's record is a fraud. Sirianni's record is a fraud. He has the talent on the team, but he doesn't use it. My faker of the week, going to go to women's basketball, college basketball. Don Staley, Caitlin Clark had a game winner against Michigan State a couple of days ago. Don Staley came out on Twitter basically saying that the uh, the game ball should have went to the refs for you know the shooting foul call that ended up you know helping uh, Caitlin Clark win the game, helping Iowa win the game. A little bit weird. I mean, she wasn't even Don Staley, of course, wasn't even part of this game. Uh, wasn't wasn't even a coach as part of this game, and she still tweeted about it. Clark should definitely have credit. She played really well. She continues to play really well. And so, like I said, just I think for just in general, whether it be what whatever sport it is, women's, men's, football, basketball, whatever, just the comment on Twitter about a game you weren't even a part of is just a little bit weird for me. So it just seems kind of out of place and you know strange that Staley would come out and tweet this. Like I said, being being a game that she wasn't even a part of. So just an overall weird scenario. And that's why, uh, yeah, Don Staley, that's my uh, my faker of the week. Zach finishes off. What is your faker of the week? David Tepper throwing a beer at a Jaguar fan. You know, if you do that out in the streets or do that at the bar, you're liable to get your butt kicked and you can't really complain about it because that is short of spitting on a guy. That's one of the lowest forms of disrespect that you can give is throwing an alcoholic beverage at somebody. And this guy is a clown as far as an owner in this league, you know, the coaches haven't worked there. They've gone through quarterbacks. They've gone through general managers. He seems to meddle too much in the Panthers, and that's why nobody wants to play there right now. That's why they're going to be picking – or not even picking number one because they traded that pick to the Bears. So they don't even get anything to show out of having another disaster of a season, and I'm not convinced that Bryce Young's ever going to work in Carolina, not necessarily just because of Bryce Young, but because he's not surrounded by any sort of talent whatsoever. David Tepper right now, to me, is the worst owner in the NFL – on the field, and as we saw in the owner's box For this sure. last weekend. All right, guys. Do it all again on Saturday. We'll be back. Break down NFL. Last week of NFL, week 18. Uh, most importantly, we'll outline all the playoff scenarios. So basically every team on the brink, uh, what do they have to do or what, what do they have to have happen, I should really say, in order to make the playoffs. Uh, we'll get you ready for the national championship game, Washington, Uh, of course, against uh, Michigan coming up on Monday night. We'll see you on Saturday, but keep on traveling.